what God has put on my heart tonight, and I don't know the fullness of it, but you know, one of the one of the critical aspects of developing intimacy with God is understanding who He is. And if we study the scriptures in Isaiah six and, and the book of Revelation, what we learn is that He's holy. Holy is what He is. And holiness is the absence of sin. It's absolute pure spiritual purity. Pictures that I've gotten in the spirit of standing in the throne room, I've had visions before of just being in God's throne room with the seraphim and all of my flesh and carnality was like blown off me in an instant. It was like almost like a nuclear winter, you know, where you just see the blast come through and just strip everything. And, and the only thing left was my spirit. And I'm like, wow. And that was an image that he gave me again as I was preparing this message to give us a sense for who he is, to understand who he is. And we know from that, that encounter between Isaiah and him in, in Isaiah chapter 6 that, that Isaiah's response to this vision of this holy God is to fall in his face and say, I'm doomed. Okay, just to give us a sense for what happens in that kind of intense presence of God. Now, there is, there is one way that we bridge ourselves between the holiness of God and who we are. Christ is it. The blood of Christ is the only way. That's the only thing that can cover our sins. And yet God speaks to us throughout scriptures. God is a God of covenant. He's doing everything. Make no mistake about it. It's His power. It's His glory. It's His grace. Everything is resourced by God. And yet, because He wants it to have value, because He values free will, because He wants us to willingly come to Him, He always gives us a part to play. He always leaves us a piece of what needs to be done to walk into not only the gospel, but walk into fullness in Christ. There's always a part for us to do. And that's kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot of Christianese flying around out there about, oh, it's all God, and they kind of fall into this fatalist ditch, where, oh, God's going to do what He's going to do, and I'm just the way I am, and if God wants to fix me, He'll fix me. Anybody ever heard that? That's usually when people get tired of trying to do holiness by their own power. Or, in the alternative, it's when God shows them something that they're not quite comfortable releasing. That they want to hang on to. And the Lord gave me another picture that I think is valuable. He said, Stephen, you know, as people come closer to me and they develop more intimacy with me and they spend more time with me and they begin to walk closer into that throne room image of God on His throne and the seraphim covering their faces because the holiness... These are angelic beings, spirit beings that are covering their faces because they can't stare directly into the glory of God. Now, if if angelic beings are in that place, that should give us a sense for where we are. What kind of posture that we need to take. And so, he said, as people get closer to me, my holiness begins to permeate their life. My holiness begins, as they take one step closer, my holiness digs into them and shows them things that over here they didn't see. They couldn't see it right here because they weren't close enough to God to even see it. So as they take a step in, all of a sudden there's a whole 
another view of ourselves that God gives us. And we begin to sting in the places where we're not in a right alignment with His holiness. And He says to me, you know, what happens is people get to that place and they often make choices. They stop right there and they say, you know what, this is close enough. This is close enough for me. But He said, you know what, it's a deception. Because they're either moving towards me or they're drifting away from me. They're always moving. There's no such thing as standing still in the presence of the Lord. You're either drawing closer to God or you're being pulled away by the gravitational pull of the world that we're in. Has anybody ever felt that pull? It's real. And so many of us, brothers, get to that point where I believe God's going to take us tonight, where He begins to show us things in His presence. Things we haven't seen before, or many, maybe for some of us, things that we've seen many times before, and God is saying, enough. Enough. Set it down. And the response to that prompting and that pricking of our spirit is repentance. It's repentance. And repentance is a word that, you know, it's got a lot of religious connotations to it. You know, the devil's done a really good job of kind of sliming it with this really religious feeling. But the word is life. Repentance is life. That's the part that God asks us to do in addition to the blood of Christ. That's our little piece to do. And the truth is, brothers, that we can only do it with Him. That we only have the grace. Do you see how this works? It's, it's His grace that even gives us repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. It's not something you can just do casually. It's something that when it really comes... It comes with fire and power and you are so broken under the weight of it and you see the the contrast between you and the holiness of God that it crushes you under the weight of it. Now it's not always an emotional event, but it's always real. He's always showing you real things that need to be exposed. So it's the blood of Jesus and we acquire it and put it over ourselves when we enter into repentance. Without repentance, we don't get the covenant of the blood of the Lamb. It's not ours. It's part of the covenant. And we'll talk about what that means. The word repentance comes from the Greek word, I don't have this in my notes, um, but it comes from the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia. And metanoia is a change of mind. It's a revelation that causes you to change your heart and turn your heart in a different direction. Literally, in a simplified form, it means to turn around. And oftentimes where God finds us is, when He finds us, we're walking in this direction, really in a self-centered, self-run life. We're in a self-run life. A self-centered, self-directed life. It's a life centered on ourselves. And we're walking along and all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord reveals to us that God is real. 
And it's at that moment that we have a decision to make. Now there's two versions of this encounter. One is popularized in the American church. The other is what I believe is biblical repentance. The one that's popularized in the church looks something like this. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you turn and you see that God is real. And you say, I'll serve you God. Jesus, I believe that you're real. And we know from the scriptures that it says, even the demons know this. I see that you're real. And then we turn and we continue to walk exactly the same direction that we've been walking. That is not repentance. But that, my friends, is the gospel that has been popularized in the American church. That by merely standing here and acknowledging that God is real and agreeing to certain spiritual principles, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you died for my sins. Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I keep going in the same direction. I've made a mockery of what has been revealed to me. And the scriptures say that we will not make a mockery of the Lord. Brothers, this is a false gospel. The other biblical gospel is that we stand here and the Lord reveals Himself to us. We acknowledge who He is and we turn from what we were doing and we say, God, I'm I'm going Your way. And we begin to walk into the center of God. Now, we all know from our experience of conversion that at this moment we didn't instantly turn from everything in our lives. That we've turned in part, but not completely in every area of our lives. And yet what the gospel is calling us to do is to turn completely. And the process of doing that is called sanctification. Sanctification. As we get closer to God and He reveals new things in our lives that are standing between us and Him, we say, God, I see what You're showing me. In this area of sexual impurity, I see what You're showing me. When I got saved, I kept having sex with women for six months. I wasn't instantly sanctified. But when the conviction of the Holy Spirit came and said, That's enough, Stephen. I said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because I knew what He had done. And that's the other piece that we need to understand of this, is that there's very there's real danger in not heeding those promptings and those pricks of the Holy Spirit and repenting. Because the consequence is that your heart will become hardened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you'll begin to drift and you'll drift And you'll drift, and before you know it, you're completely out of the presence of God. That's a dangerous place to be. And so the Lord has given us repentance as a gift. Listen to this scripture out of the book of Isaiah. He says, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for Him. Who's that talking about? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And you know what Jesus said about him? No greater man has ever lived. Wow. 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 That's a big statement coming from the Son of the living God. 
No greater man has ever lived. And you know why? You know why he was great in God's eyes? I'm sure there are many reasons. He didn't care what men said. He only cared what God said. If you want to impress God, you have to stop caring about what men say. If you want to be great in God's eyes, then you have to stop caring about what men say and care about what God says. In Matthew 10.28, He says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And you know what, brothers? I'm just, you know, this is connected. This testimony was so timely. Because what happened there is that he stopped being afraid of what men would say. Did you hear how many people, even at the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, are looking at him as if he's an alien? I can't tell you how many times I've given testimonies and watched professed believers looking at me like, what planet are you from? And I want to just either shake them, which is not so biblical, or grab the New Testament and go, what are you talking about? You mean this? Because I'll tell you what, when you begin to walk in this and experience this and testify about this, everybody around you is going to get uncomfortable. I'm just telling you the truth. Everybody around you who's got a more comfortable gospel that they've developed around themselves is going to get very uncomfortable. But guess what, brothers? That's our job. Our job is to be concerned about what God says. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Some of the most incredible persecution you will face will come from well-meaning family members and well-meaning believers who are like, that's not responsible. If I had a dollar for every time I heard a Christian tell me that was not responsible, I could finance our ministry for the rest of our lives. I wish we had more Christians who said, that's radical. I, I, I want to be part of that. And that's why we're, you know, God has called each of you here in turn was to be here so that we can share this kingdom reality with one another so that when you go out there and you hear a still small voice go, go up to this guy and pray, you know that it's God. You know that it's the Spirit of the Lord drawing somebody to salvation. But unless you're walking with brothers who are walking in this reality, you're going to be walking with brothers who are saying, Hey man, let's go watch TV this weekend. And before you know it, your life is gone and we're all standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice I didn't say the mercy seat. The judgment seat in our entire life is being played out before us. And the Lord is asking righteous questions of each of us about what did you do with what I gave you? It's the parable of the talents. Do you remember this from Scripture? I mean, it's like Sunday school teaching. I gave you five talents. What did you do with it? And I'll tell you what, if you come back with one talent, I'll tell you what I believe that is. I believe the believers... He's talking to believers in this parable. The servant with the one talent is the servant that comes back and says, Here I am with my salvation. You know what the, how the parable ends? It's just throw that servant into outer darkness. So we may not all be in the office of evangelists, but I believe we are all called to the Great Commission. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what, brothers, you know what's so awesome about this is that it has nothing to do with your human effort. 
but it is totally and completely directly connected to your intimacy with God. Because you can't do evangelism unless you are hearing from God. If you do evangelism by human effort, I'll tell you where it will get you. A lot of persecution and a lot of disappointment and heartache. But when you move in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God cracks people open. Are you kidding me? They're coming up to Him weeping. That's the, that's the anointing of God on this brother. And it comes from him spending time with the living God so that the smell of the kingdom is on him. That he comes out and the presence of God is wafting everywhere he goes and the Lord goes before him and prepares hearts for him to show up and speak the word of the Lord. It's not his human effort, I assure you of that. And it's not mine. What was the message of this incredible servant of God? The one that Jesus said is the greatest man that ever lived. In Luke 3, 3, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, we find out. The word of the Lord says, John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Sound familiar with our understanding of what repentance is? Turning to God? Turning to God in every area of our lives? What was great about him was that he was preparing the way. You see, it's repentance that prepares the way for the presence of God. John the Baptist was a prophetic voice crying in the wilderness, and his message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent! Turn to God! Be baptized to show everyone that you've turned away from your life of sin and that you've turned to God. And that through that message, He was prophetically preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah to come. You see how repentance always precedes the presence of the Lord? Do you see that prophetic connection? And it still speaks to us now. That's what the Lord is saying to us, brothers. If you want to have intimacy with God, if you want to have fellowship with the Lord, you have to understand who you're dealing with. Understand, yes, He loves you. Yes, He loves you. He loves you enough to tell you that He's holy. He loves you enough to tell you that in order for you to be safe, for Him to come into your presence, for you to acquire the atoning blood of Christ, you must repent. And it's, it's more than just confessing. Confessing is, you acknowledge that, here's confessing, I stand here, and I see what he's talking to me about, and I confess it, and then I keep walking. <laughs> confessing without turning means nothing. It means nothing. It might make you feel better for a little bit, but it's not going to do anything to the root of the problem, which is there's got to be a turning. There's got to be a turning. There's got to be a setting of your heart. Now, can we turn, can we repent without the power of God and the presence of God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I'll tell you what God's looking for. He's looking for when you're standing here and you don't have the power to turn. He's looking to see is your heart and your will and your mind going to turn. And then He will give you the power and release the grace 
for you to step into that next level of holiness. It's His power. But He's asking for you to say yes and turn. And it's not enough to confess your sin. It's time that we start turning. It's time that we start turning when God shows us these things. It's time to start turning because there's way more at stake. If there's anything that we've learned in this entire year together, this is about way more than our salvation. We've got to get out of the mode that this is about us. It's about every single person in your family, your children, your parents, your aunts and uncles, your cousins. Because I'm going to tell you something. Unless you're standing in the presence of God, they will not come in the kingdom. The prayers that need to be released over their lives will not be released. The words of knowledge that need to be released, the words of comfort, the words of salvation will not come out of your mouth unless you are standing in the presence of the Lord. And God does not just allow anyone into His presence. Then Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, He says, The time promised by God has come at last, He announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Has the message changed? Now we move to the uh, to the Pentecost. The disciples have been gathered like scared little children, praying and hiding from authorities. Jesus had come back, and they they knew that he was real, but they weren't walking in any kind of power of any kind. They were still just human beings, not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit yet. And then you guys know the story. They're gathered in the upper room and the, the fire and the power of God fall in this room. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches for a while and then they say, what, what must we do to be saved? There's a massive crowd gathered. And this is what he says. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Sound familiar? Hasn't changed, has it? The prophet, the Messiah, and the apostles all agree. This is the gospel. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, then, notice this. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is something interesting because I found in my own walk, it's not that I haven't had the Holy Spirit, but how many know that the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time event? The Holy Spirit is something we need to cry out for and be filled with continually. If it happened only one time, we'd be incredible Christians for about a week, and then we'd look like nice and worldly. That sounds pretty familiar. That sounds like the church. But he says, as you repent, then you receive the Holy Spirit. See that connection between repenting and receiving the Holy Spirit. And as you go through this process of sanctification from my own experience, God will reveal things to you in His timing, and He'll give you an opportunity to repent as He shows you these things. And if you repent, 
then you'll experience greater and greater encounters with the Lord. You'll be in, it'll be easier for you to get into God's presence. It'll be easier and easier to hear God's voice and discern the leading of the Holy Spirit, whether it's through the Word or through the spoken Word or that still small voice in your spirit. That as you agree with God, as you walk along this path, the Lord will bless you with greater intimacy with Him. I'll tell you the truth that I've spent a great deal of my mature Christian life in a constant posture of repentance. And I hear from the Lord a lot. And I know that it's connected with His holiness. I know it's not me. It's not because I'm so great. But it's because I've grabbed onto this kingdom principle that we serve a holy God and that the only way to acquire the blood of Jesus and to stand in His presence, which is where we're supposed to be, is for me to stand in a heart posture of saying, Lord, search me. It's David in Psalm 139 crying out and saying, Lord, search me, search my heart. So, another popularized version of this is that repentance is for new converts. Anybody ever heard that? So, hey, at the time of conversion, you repent and you say, God, I'm going to turn and... You sort of do, and you, you know, I mean, it's kind of always like a imperfect turning because we don't know what we don't know yet. And as we do that, um, there's sort of the idea that, you know, we're okay now. We're fine. But I would just hold out to you and put before you, and we're going to go into the Word because I don't want to just have like a this is what I think and what do you think kind of competition. I want to see what God says. That's what really matters. But I believe that the Word is calling us to constantly be in a state of examining ourselves and be in a state of asking God to reveal things to us in a state of repentance. And that's how we continue to press into that place of holiness and consecration and sanctification in Him. That posture changes everything. You know, there's heart postures that are so subtle and the Scriptures say that our hearts deceive ourselves. Because I've even seen brothers week after week say, you know, I really want to repent. I really want to turn. And yet, they're kind of in a place where they want God to come in and do it all. I mean, they literally want God to come and fix them and do it all. And God is saying... Well, I wish you were But what I need is a real posture of... You know, there's a big difference between a posture of laying back like this and saying, God, do it all, and a posture of this, pressed into God, saying, God, show me. I'm hungry for you. I want to see what you want to show me. Because in this posture, brothers, you're going to be blind to a whole lot of stuff. Because the truth is, you don't really want to see. It's so easy to deceive ourselves, and it's so easy to turn off the open heavens and the connection with the Spirit of the Lord. It's so easy for our flesh to override what the Spirit is saying. It's the grace of God. But if you change your posture from one of, oh well, God will kind of take care of me when He's ready. This is where you go. Until you're just another carnal Christian. 
But if you fix yourself, if you set your face like flint to seek after God, and you say, God, no, I really want to hear the truth. I really want to know the truth. I really want to see what you see. You're going to see. And He's going to bring holiness to you. Ask and you will receive. Let's go to the book of, book of Revelation 2 and 3. And I'm not going to read all these stories, but just want to give you a taste. The book of Revelation are prophetic messages to the churches of that time. Um, the Apostle John was on the island of Patmos and was in worship and was swept up in the Spirit and has this incredible vision from God, about the uh, prophetic vision about God. And at the beginning of this vision that he receives from the Lord, he's got messages that he gives John to bring back to the specific churches that are in existence at that time. These aren't all the churches, but these are churches that are representative of all the things that God knows from the beginning of time His churches are going to be faced with and challenged with. And so in that way, these are prophetic messages to the church of our time as well. So these are all messages to believers. These are all messages to believers. These are not messages to people who don't know God. Here He says... Um, the first one in the, uh, the message to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know all the things you do. Listen to who he is. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. The gold lampstands represent the church, the churches. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, listen to Jesus. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Do we understand what this message is saying? This is to believers. Believers, if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. Clearly, the message of repentance is an ongoing message for the church whenever it finds itself in sin or iniquity. There are multiple other stories uh, in the Scriptures. I mean, several of these messages are messages of repentance. Um, Here in the message to the church at Sardis, this is chapter 3, chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1b. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Sound familiar? Wake up! Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Sound like a message that we're getting right now? Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. How many know what that reference is to? The second coming. (laughs) Oops. 
Jesus doesn't sound like he's playing. He sounds like he's the son of God. What I love about these messages to the church is that every single one of them at the end of each message says anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. And ears to hear is that heart posture that we're talking about. Do you really want to hear the truth or do you want something else that will tickle your ears? You can have what you want. So what is, what is the test of repentance? How do we know if we've really repented? How do we know if we're walking in this reality or not? This is what John had to say. Remember John the Baptist? And I don't have the address for this, you guys, but it's back near the first scripture that we grabbed. I forgot to grab it. It says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins. So is, it, is repenting talking the talk? Don't just say to each other, and I'm, I'm doing a Steve Ugin remix, so you'll forgive me, because the reference was to an Old Testament reference, so I'm, I'm updating it for us as New Covenant believers. We're safe because we said a prayer to give our lives to Jesus. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Jesus in Matthew 12:33 said this, A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Now here's what Paul says to the Galatians church in that context of identifying where we're at on this. Where are we on this, in this walk of repentance? Here he says in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, he says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the result is very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity. Impurity is thoughts about sexual immorality. Thoughts. Remember Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Lustful pleasures. Lustful pleasures, that encompasses a lot of stuff. Idolatry. How many know what idolatry is? It's a holding up of anything in a posture that would have more value or weight than God. And it doesn't matter if you say that it doesn't have more value or weight than God. The real test of it is whether you spend more time in front of the television than you do seeking after God. That's the test. It's how you live your life and spend your time. Not what you say with your mouth. Sorcery. Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, (coughs) drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And the Lord prompted me to include these additional ones. You know, like, we're, we're not so bad with the drunkenness and wild parties necessarily. We can usually put on a good show as Christians. But pretty much every other category we hit pretty hard on. 
too many of us. Gluttony, materialism, self-absorption, selfishness, busyness, apathy. Let me tell you again, in other words, he's saying this is very important. This is very important. I've already told you this before, but I'm telling you again, and if you know in the ancient Hebrew, they don't have exclamation points. They just repeat things. If they really want to add emphasis and weight to what is being said. Let me tell you again that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now these are all things that come from and flow from the Holy Spirit. They're not things we can put on. But where God honors you and begins to pour those things out upon you is at this moment of decision right here. Are you willing to turn? Are you willing to turn your heart? away from the things that He's showing you and turn towards Him. You have no idea why He's doing these things. You have no idea why He's saying, I want you to stop drinking soda or I want you to stop watching television or I want you to... Who knows why? I want you to stop going to movies. You have no idea why. But I'll tell you what, there's a reason. Because it's directly connected to your ability to be intimate with Him. And He wants everything that inhibits you from having intimacy with Him to be gone. It may be, stop playing video games. That's enough. It's your time. It may be, I want you in the Word every morning. We have no idea what He's going to ask of us, but every time, it requires a response. And when we're willing to turn our heart towards Him, He will pour out the grace that we need to walk in it. Go to John 15. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Which branches? Branches of someone else's? Muslims? Buddhists? Or Christians? Well, how can this be? How can this be? A pastor proclaimed over me that I was saved. You see, it doesn't matter who says you're saved except God. And our assurance of salvation is the constant presence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our, fruit of our, self, our, our, our assurance of salvation is the presence of God in our lives daily. That's our assurance. And, and maybe we're not all there yet, but that's the direction that God's taking us. That's why He says in the Word, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you can lose it. No, the assurance doesn't come from your works or your human effort or anything like that. Let's not get confused. It's all a work of God. But what He does expect is in these moments of decision that we'll turn our heart to Him and agree. And say, God, I see what you're saying. I'm going to put that down. And then call on His power to help us to turn the whole way and go. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Anyone been pruned? (laughs) 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 Woo! Yeah! Come on now! (laughs) Yeah! 
purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. You know what that means? Remain in His presence. His manifest presence. Remain in His presence. How do you get to His presence? Will the blood of Jesus do it? Yeah, it sure will. You can't do it without the blood of Jesus. But there needs to be repentance also. If you want to live in that life and abide in Him, then you have to walk in holiness, which is empowered by Him. Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Sound familiar to what I was saying about what the Lord was speaking to us about evangelism? In evangelism without the Spirit of God? That's painful self-punishment that doesn't produce any treasure in heaven. You know, that's just gluttony for punishment is what it is. Because our human effort will accomplish nothing. We know from the Word of God. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort comes to nothing. The, the Word of the Lord says. Oh, it says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. You know, most Christians I talk to have no idea what that means. Because they have no idea what it means to live in the presence of God. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Who is that? Is that the person who turns and sees and starts to wither and come out of the presence of God? Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You know why he says that in that particular scripture? Is he saying that, you know, I'm a genie in a bottle, Steve Olson, and whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. Anybody tried the genie in the bottle job? How does that work for you? Any new car stories or Armani suits or anything you guys want to stand up and testify? Come on. Matthew? Cool. Cool. Sweet, man. Yeah, I don't think it was Pistachio's. Hundred bucks, man. I love you. Um, the reason he's saying that is because if you're asking and you're in his presence, what you're asking will be what he wants you to ask for. <coughs> you're in His presence and you're releasing the prayers, how many know that the most effective prayer really originates with God? It comes to us by the Holy Spirit and we pray it back to God. That's what He means when He says, My word will not return void. The Spirit of the Lord comes and gives us the prayers. And then we pray God's prayers back to Him. Those are some powerful prayers. Those will accomplish their purpose. That is what He's referring to here when He says, Ask for anything you you want and it will be granted because you're in his presence and you're praying what he wants which matches up really well with the Lord's prayer doesn't it thy will be done thy kingdom come not Maurice's will be done even though I know you got a good heart brother 
is God's will be done. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. To me, this just speaks about God's desire for people who want to be real. He's just looking for people who want to be real. If you're willing to be real with God, He'll be real with you. If you don't want to be real with God, He's not going to be real with you. You'll never know the fullness of God. If you don't want to be real, He says here in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 3, He said, Lord, You are searching for honesty. That's what we got to do is just be honest with ourselves. You struck your people, but they paid no attention. You crushed them, but they refused to be corrected. This is the place we don't want to be, by the way. They are determined with faces set like stone. They have refused to repent. That is not where we want to be. He says... uh, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul speaks to us and talks about this posture. You know, in the end of Psalm 139, David says, Father, Lord, and I'm paraphrasing, search me and examine me. If there be any wicked way in me, Lord, reveal it and lead me in the way everlasting. And it reflects kind of this heart posture of being willing for God to show you anything that's going on in your life that's inconsistent with Him. He is so excited about moments like this because he's been waiting so long with most of us to actually have an opportunity to talk to us about how we're really doing. Instead of the marketing version of how we're doing that we kind of play in the movie in our head, (laughs) which has always got us a little better looking and a little younger than we really are. How many people are shocked when they look at themselves naked in the mirror? (laughs) Sorry, man, sorry. We'll do a cleansing prayer real quick. I'm always shocked. I'm like, wow. I didn't know I put on that much weight, man. Why? Because I've always kind of got a marketing version of who I am playing in my head. I always base it on my wife's reaction to me. You know? Yeah. But that happens, that happens in our spiritual life and in our relationship with God as well. If most of us are really honest, it's really hard for us to open our spirits up completely to what the Holy Spirit wants to show us and let Him reveal to us the junk, the stuff that's got to go. And yet is the single, I found it's the single most incredible ingredient to having intimacy with God is that willingness to be open before the Lord and and to really let Him show you what your issues are. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul exhorts us to kind of live in this posture. To really be in this place where we are willing to go before God. And he says in this scripture, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. To see if you're really in the faith. There's different versions of the translation. But he's really saying, examine yourself. You know, reflect upon where you are. Are you really experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Are you really spending time with God? Or are you spending more time in front of the television than with God? 
I mean, God's getting real with us. I hope you guys don't mind. He's just getting real, man. He's just getting really real. And so all these sacred cows like television and movies, hey man, I'm sorry, but he's coming after them. You know, and entertainment and how we want to just dial out of reality and plug back into the matrix for a while because we don't want to look at who we really are. That's not going to fly. You're going to end up a carnal Christian. You're going to end up right back where God doesn't want you to be. The call of the hour is to be set apart for God. The call of the hour is to give everything for the kingdom. The call of the hour is the gospel that requires everything. If you haven't noticed, what God's after is absolutely everything that you are. Everything that you ever will be. It's His. And He's after it all. And He's serious about it. And He loves you enough to come and get it. He loves you enough to contend with you, Carlos. And Chris, He loves you enough to come after you and say, I want it all. I don't just want what you want to give me, Nick. I want everything from you. Lucas, that's right, Lucas. He's after you, all of you. Lucas knows, man. God's given him words of instruction, say, get rid of that, get rid of that. Brother said, yes, Lord. I don't know if that's always his answer. But I know that he knows that this is real. I just think God wants to use this opportunity tonight. We're going to go into a worship song, but we're going to pray before we do. And I want you guys just to join in agreement. You've got to make a decision. I mean, most of us are we're standing somewhere between going this way, the way we've been going anyway, and totally turned over and walking into the center of God. Whatever it takes, whatever He shows us, we're just going to go all the way. Many of us are somewhere in between that space and we've got a decision where we've got to decide if we're going to turn our heart to Him and say yes. And so, I just, what I'm feeling on my heart is that that we will just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and show each of us. And as He shows you things, if you've got something to write with, you might want to write it down. Or maybe there will only be one or two big things. Or maybe you already know what He's going to show you. But He wants to take us to the next level. He wants to take us that next step into holiness. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's got an impact on our ability to take the next step into holiness. And it's got an impact on our ability to reach people with the gospel at that retirement home. And it's got an impact on our ability to reach people with the gospel in our families. And it's got an impact on our ability to reach our families and minister to our own families and make sure that the devil doesn't come in and rip our own children out from under us. I'm telling you, the stakes are real. They are real. So I just want to encourage you to be real. Father in heaven, come with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and give us the grace to just lay open our hearts and our spirits to you. I pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit that you've promised would come and bring the conviction of sin. That you would come and show each of us, God, those areas of our lives that you are pointing to right now and saying, it's time. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the grace to say yes to you, that you would give us the grace to invite you to take us deeper into your presence. 
pray that you would come and just speak to your children, minister to your children. Lord, as we enter into this time of worship, this song, Lord, that's going to focus on your holiness, I just pray that your holiness would come and that you would show us, God, and that as you show us, you would help us to say, yes, Lord, I see what you're saying. I turn from it, God. I set it down, God. And I ask you to give me the power to walk away, to walk your way.